I saw the flickering shadows of love on her blind Leave me, I watched and went out of my mind My, 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 Delilah Why, 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 Delilah I could see that girl was no good for me Like a slave that no man could free At break of day when that man drove away I was waiting I crossed the street to her house And she opened the door She stood there laughing I felt the knife on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Mr. Tony Cliff. Uh, Tony. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's, it's something. Uh, <laughs> Tony's made the, the rigorous trek from his house to my office. Um, and if anyone knows Vancouver Transit, it can be a chore or a challenge. <laughs> I got my camel back. I got my hiking boots. There we go. It's, uh, you, you took the Skytrain, so that that's good. If you uh, take the Main Street bus or the Fraser bus, it's hell. <laughs> yes, it's it is. It's literally hell now. There's a, uh, the da- <laughs> You're tuning into transit hour. <laughs> um, well, it's either that or the weather. Oh, man, the eight downtown bus, you'll spend 15 minutes at the corner of uh, Hast- uh, Hastings and Main, trying to get around that corner on a left turn. Oh, boy. 
the best is uh, it's at the point now where you'll wait half an hour for a bus, and then three will come, yes. and then one will be five minutes later, and then there'll be another half hour. Yeah. Yes, exactly. If they're not all full. It's classy. So uh, that's Vancouver. Um, <laughs> uh, Tony is known for things other than taking the bus. Uh, his uh, latest book is uh, Delia Dirk. Oh, he's uh, not too sure about that. Is that your uh, claim to fame? Take well, you can tune into my transit blog, <laughs> which I uh, just it hits through the roof. There we go. Uh, Delia Dirk and the Turkish Lieutenant is his new book from first second, as well as uh, the self-published, now sold out just this week, uh, Delia Dirk and the Seeds of, or just is it Emna? Yeah, and the seeds of good fortune. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to throw in too many thes around. Yeah, yeah. As well, you I'm very were... surprised at that. You... How many did you have left? And you just kind of I, said, "Hey, buy I had a, I had a about seventy, about seventy, and realized, okay, I, it's getting down there. I want to start getting rid of these um, because. It, you know, it takes a certain amount of time to wrap them up and package them and put them in the mail and everything. Um, I just wanted that. <laughs> uh, I wrote a blog, blog post about that. I mean, the disclaimer, of course, is that, you know, it's like it's, it is still kind of cool to be able to send comics out to people across the world, like, uh, you know, walk off to the mailbox with a comic book you're sending to Singapore and one that's going to Australia and Finland. Um, I, that that still is very cool, but it's also a chore that I could probably do without when I'm trying to move forward and do work. So yes, anyway, put it all up. I expected to sell a couple and maybe have a bunch left over at the end of the week, and uh, they were all gone by the end of Monday. So all uh, above. Yep. Yeah. And uh, thank you to everybody that ordered one. I guess. How many I mean, do you print? Uh, I printed a thousand in the spring of last year. Oh, okay. Um, printed a thousand, and then um, a lot of people grabbed them right at the beginning, um, and then it sort of uh, uh, sales went way down. <laughs> Why are we talking about sales? Anyway, sales <laughs> went all the way down to like nothing uh, during the winter, and then you know uh, they sold very well at conventions and everything. Um, got a lot of questions about why it's in black and white and not color. Which, because uh, it costs money, folks. <laughs> it does cost money, yes. I did want to keep the price down. I also thought black and white looked really nice. But um, Did you design it for black and white? I did, yeah. Um, I designed it for black and white, but I still got questions. I've received questions occasionally, people saying, "Why? oh, you know, was this in color originally? Will you be printing it in color? Uh, which I, I assume comes from the, the other comic, the comic that I put online uh, being full color and Really, if you've done one in color, why would you do anything else? Um, but yeah, note for next time. <laughs> <laughs> and when you do it digitally, it's going to stay black and white, isn't it? Or are you going to do color with it? Uh, no, I'm. Oh, right. Okay, so uh, Seeds of Good Fortune uh, sold out the physical copies. I'm not going to reprint it, uh, at least not now, um, because, like I mentioned, workload. Um, and yeah, so I'm going to turn it into an ebook so people can still read it. Um, but no, I'm not going to color it specifically for that. Unfortunately, oh. I, it's just not something that I have time for right now. You don't need to. I don't know. It's, it's how you originally intended. <laughs> then stand by your original intention. Um, I was thinking um, we've hung out 
personally before, but I realized I know nothing about like where you're from. Um, it's mostly just been like kind of yada 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 chatter, and I realized you've got a bit of an accent. Um, <laughs> just a little bit of one. Um, that may be an affected thing. I sometimes do that. Um, no, I I'm from Vancouver. I grew, oh, okay. grew up. I grew Look up in me. Richmond. I'm such an asshole. You I, have a Richmond accent. No, 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 accent. no, no. I, I do have a Richmond accent. Um, you are definitely not the pers- first person who said that. I've had at least two people be like, "Are you from the states?" Uh, this one girl said, "You sound like you're from Brooklyn." I'm like, "No, I grew up in Richmond." But again, I tell people I'm from Vancouver because that's what people from the suburbs of Vancouver do, right? You know, where did you grow up? Main Street. Hmm. Oh, so actually Vancouver. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I can't win them all. I'm um, sorry. I'm a rare, rare breed in this city. Yeah, it's very hard to find people in Vancouver who actually grew up here. You get strange looks from people sometimes. They ask you, where are you from? You say, I'm from Vancouver. I never meet anybody from Vancouver. It's a rash generalization. But and then you meet people like me, like, you're not from Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> you can fool someone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, don't look, you don't look beaten down by the rain enough. Common Vancouver trope. Yeah. I love the rain. That's part of the reason why I still live here. Okay. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of uh, the mild winters. Um, I had a friend in animation school who went down to, and she's working, she's a spectacular animator, and she's working at Disney right now, and that is one of her major complaints. She's like, I really, really miss the rain. Um, I can't relate to it, but... I guess that's uh, that's a way some people feel. There's Fair nothing enough. like in you know like a November night where you realize you just <sighs> want to like sit at home and watch a terrible movie and. <laughs> I yes, there is that. There is that. I do. It takes the guilt away from from wanting to just sort of stay inside. Oh man, if <laughs> you know, like if I turn the video game system on any time between June and and August, that just this like little voice inside is like you shouldn't be doing this. Just slap your hands for variety, whole variety of reasons. First, it's beautiful outside. Two, there must be better things you could be doing. But uh, reason number one goes away in the winter. <laughs> so living, growing up in Richmond, um, I'm, were you shopping any comic stores out there? Were you reading comics? Oh, I got um, yeah. So. The first place, the first comic I ever bought was Wildcats number nine at a, um, this was in the mid-90s, at a bookstore in Steveson, not a bookstore, a comics and cards shop in Steveson. The 90s. Right near, right, I think right beside the old Steveson Barbers. And then afterward started shopping at uh, Imperial Hobbies and Toys and stuff and the guys there were great and everything and, um, yeah I started picking those uh, picking them up when how old were you when you picked up Wildcats number 9? Uh, f- probably uh, would have been like grade 8 I think no sorry 9, or, th- nine or 10 anyway somewhere in there it's like the perfect age for that kind of oh yeah weird machismo Absolutely. Do you remember Evil Ernie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. I worked uh, in a comic store in those days. Okay, well, there you go, then. Evil Ernie and Lady Dead and Chaos Comics and stuff. I grabbed all that uh, blood, gore everywhere and stuff. 
Um, I, <laughs> I had a uh, I had a teacher in high school who was really really keen on comics, and he was um, like he he formed this club for um, the enthusiastic among us to get together and like contribute comics, and then he would print out this Xerox like comic book every like, every couple months, like four times a year maybe. Um, but I went to he had and he had a special elective art class that was specifically about comic books, oh, teaching the art and craft of making comics, um, which was right up my alley. So I went into there. Um, one of the classes he said, "Oh, you got to bring in, bring in some comics. Bring in you know bring in some comics that you're reading." And I brought in uh, Calvin and Hobbes and Farside, and everybody else brought in Marvel and DC and and Image Comics and stuff. You know, I looked at my few books there, and I'm like, those aren't real comics. Those are cartoon books. Uh, and that's when I'm like, well, I guess I better go out and start reading some of those real comics. And uh, bicycled over to the card shop. There you go. So you were in Steveston. Yes. Not Richmond. Or is that... I'm just trying to get, like, this idea of, like, well, the suburban... <laughs> the suburb, like, the, the kind of how you grab culture when you live way out there or just kind of how you connect with stuff uh, I don't know I mean isn't it the same as any old suburban town or whatever I have no idea like Richmond is Richmond and, and like for, to people who don't live in Richmond it, do they because I, I understand Steveston is a bit of a uh, um, boy this is getting real local <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's okay this is geography lesson transit geography um Weather, like, do people outside of Richmond view Steveston because it's sort of a tourist uh, area in Richmond? Do they view it as like a, a bit of a different thing from the rest of Richmond? For me, it's just <laughs> is there Steveston and then farmland and malls? Growing up, like in Vancouver, and then I always thought of like Richmond in kind of like an abstract <laughs> way because like getting there was hell, hmm. like the transit, like. It wasn't until, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, where you actually were getting more accessible there by transit with, mm-hmm. like, what was it, the 480 or something, the Beeline <laughs> one that they had out there. The, sorry, folks, this is way off. I don't even know why I brought this down. This we way. are discussing specific transit routes. <laughs> um, and so for me, I guess just Richmond just, like, it just seems kind of, like, weirdly abstract. Um, because, like, everywhere else was, like, you could get really easily with the sky train mm. and so i just had this idea of like richmond and delta at that point in time it's just like far away yeah i think we we probably had a similar thing because living in richmond you looked at traveling into vancouver uh as a slightly exotic yeah uh, as a special journey or whatever um nowadays less so but but yeah you can, yeah growing up there it's like Oh, we're taking today, and we're going into the city. Yeah. Even though uh, Richmond, even then, it's m- much more so now, but even then was reasonably uh, metropolitan. That's certainly no backwater. No. I mean, no. same as most suburbs around here and probably everywhere else. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean... Um, now, you were reading comics in high school, um, but you ended up going into animation. Did you have an intention of doing comics at a certain point when you're a teenager or hmm not specifically the I think the, traje- the trajectory there was 
you do really well in art class, feel really good, enthusiastic in art class during high school, uh, graduate, look at what, you know, what your options are going forward, obviously, you know, you're good at this, the, the easy path is to go towards art school, so I went to Emily Carr, hated that because nobody drew things that looked like actual things, right? Yeah, Emily Carr f is really conceptual Yes, yeah, a, a modern... Um, a modern art school it's specializing in all, specializing in all sorts of mm -hmm. disciplines and stuff like performance and uh <laughs> it's the first one that came to me performance and sculpture and and yes all spectrums of the artistic rainbow are there you know um but during, while I was there I took a summer course up at Capilano College offering this like technical animation course and just like oof animating it uh, like the actual animating, the flipping the oh, okay. the pages yeah, and yeah. stuff, and 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 drawing there was so much fun that very technical like, animation out of there, boom, right into animation. And it has a, it had like it was doing everything I I liked, right? Like yeah. emphasis on um, you know draftsmanship, emphasis on you know drawing things that look like things, and and the movement in there was was also very exciting. You shot everything on a little camera hooked up to a computer, and you could. Play everything back, and um, yeah, you like you know you know when you're doing something, and you 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 get into it, and then the next thing you know, you look up from whatever you're doing, and it's four hours later, four hours have yeah. passed, and you don't you didn't feel it. That was animation. Yeah. So, like, yep, I'll do that. <laughs> Not expected, just kind of, um, just felt right. I mean, I like I always watched cartoons and had a taste for animated films and stuff, um, but it was a good combination of yeah, like enthusiasm and also like just really enjoying that task and that process and and uh, and what it is and yeah. So was it pretty easy for you to get into the animation industry when you're done school? It's a two-year course, right? Um, yes, yeah. it, it was. Um, like right after animation school, I got this really weird offer to come and do come and do concept art for a small startup video game studio based out of and i don't I don't know if they were as specific about this or if i don't know, I don't know if I understood it as specifically. perhaps what I heard was concept artist for a video game company uh, in Los Angeles <coughs> and it was like headlights on a dark night. Like yeah. you could just see the headlights. You can't, you know, you're like, those were the headlights shining at me and everything else uh, didn't quite fill in the details. But uh, anyway, it, uh, went down and uh, lived in a dude's house uh, in Hacienda Heights, um, a suburb of a suburb <laughs> of Los Angeles. A place uh, where arcade fire. Not actually, something. not actually Los Angeles, but a uh, suburb. You know, if you tell people, I'm going to Los Angeles. Um, worked on that in in L.A. for a f for quite a few months, and then up to San Francisco. Um, we were working on a PlayStation Two game that um, never 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 really panned out. Uh, we, we were kind of a, we were a small studio, uh, just a few guys trying to develop a a 3D physics-based action platformer 
very cinematic, lots of colorful locations. Um, it was way... Mm, I mean, I don't want to put words in everybody else's mouth, but it was way beyond uh, um, what a, a small group of men should probably expect themselves to complete. Anyway, did that, came back. You, you asked about getting into the animation industry. Got, got back. By that time, I had the, the fortune of a lot of, the, my, a lot of my schoolmates had found jobs, so I sort of, you know, approached them and said, can you, uh, you know, what are you working on? What are, anyway, got an interview at a studio, and uh, from then on, I have been playing, playing the, like, studio ping pong game uh, within the industry, sort of bouncing from one studio to the other, to the other, to the other. Because the nature of it is you yeah. go on for a contract for six, six to eight months, usually, um, and then once it's done, Work your butt off. Uh, right. Once it's done, especially, uh, like, for most of the time I've been in Vancouver, once a project's been done, there would be a lull, either at that studio or in the industry in general. So it, it's, um, more recently, everything has been, it, I get the impression that the studios have been doing a much better job of keeping people on. There's been a lot more work. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, locally we have... Uh, one of the studios taking a lot of Hasbro shows. They got My Little Pony and Pound Puppies and everything, and and a lot more shows, a lot more regular work. But yeah, for most of my life, it's been like you'd have that downtime <laughs> in between contracts, which is when I would like, well, why don't I try making some comic books? That's what it. Yeah, you were in Flight, right? Yeah, yeah, three volumes of it. Was that your first stab at doing comics? Uh, or was it a beginning? You know what? Process? You know what it felt. So I mentioned that that zine, <laughs> zine thing, the the photocopied comic yeah. book thing we were doing in high school. It felt basically the same as that, because we were all just hanging out on the internet, complimenting each other's work, and um, you know, telling, oh, your stuff's great, oh, your stuff's great, and then Kazoo of of the editor for Flight. And, and uh, now the author of Amulet, Scholastic's long-running Amulet series, uh, set this up. Um, so he, he got all these these friends of his together, and uh, that he'd known through the internet, he'd discovered through the internet, whose work he'd seen. He got a, got all these people together and said, "Hey, why don't we make an anthology?" And he did, and um, it was very. I, I got in on the third book. I, I don't know if I, I jumped right in with, at the very beginning of it, or if, or if I was invited to jump in right at the beginning of it. Um, but I came in, and, and the way it worked is, uh, and this was early 2000s, I think, so everybody was communicating on message boards. Uh, you, you, if you had an idea, if you had something you wanted to work on, you just go into the flight message board, uh, put up your comic or an idea for comic or usually something along a finished line and say, hey, here's this comic I want to submit, basically, for a flight. Or mm-hmm. I'm thinking about contributing. And um, it would go through this, like, uh, uh, sort of, I don't want to say peer review process, um, but, you know, people would make suggestions and critiques and stuff and work together and... <coughs> Um, and sort of offer criticism to each other's books or sorry comics, and 
the the end product would be what you see in a flight two or a flight three or, or so on and so forth had you been posting artwork online at that point uh like is that kind of how you connected with other folks yeah yeah uh, a little bit hmm well, I, you know i don't remember a lot um this is the early 2000s. Like, do you remember... It's a tough time. <laughs> yeah, so... Oof. Things that were in the air. Geocities. Geocities. Do you remember Shane Glein's drawing board? Okay, so... That seemed to be a really popular uh, message board for people who were in that sort of... <clears throat> uh, and you'll see, you'll see a lot of animators who are really interested in comic books, because mm. it's a lot of the same skills, and it... Like comic books are the thing, com- and comic strips are something that is a project that an animator can come to. Be like, I can make my own thing here. I can, you know, I can take all these skills and, and techniques I've learned, and I can apply it to this one thing that I'm I'm thinking of. Yeah, my own concept, um, which is nice because video games, collaborative, making animation, collaborative, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you would get these these animators who were sort of interested in illustration. There were a lot of illustrators, um, uh, and I, I I think some comic people all coming together on this Shane Glines drawing board. The aesthetic was sort of animation inspired. Yeah, um, kind of angular. <laughs> uh, there there was definitely a lot of that sort of graphic style. I think you're thinking of like looks like it came out of Adobe Illustrator. Um, Maybe. It's sort of flat, gradients, um, geometric. Well, not geometric. Uh, like, um, There's a certain style. Kind of. Are you thinking of like the... T- oh, God. Every every animator worth their salt, worth their salt knows these guys' names. Uh, Bruce Tim and... Uh, yeah, just those... When I think of Shane Glines, I think of like those... Kind of right, angle yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hourglass figures and so forth. Yeah, things. yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of that, but uh, then also a lot of um, a lot of other stuff going on. Like um, I remember, like Kazoo was on there contributing stuff, like showing some of his Daisy Cutter artwork. Um, and um, oof, I'm gonna mispronounce his name. Uh, there's a gentleman named Rudolph. You know, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. <laughs> uh, he's French. He's uh, currently, I think, uh, he might be a director. He's a, at least an animation director down at DreamWorks. Um, and he would he would put up comics and illustrations, sort of pin-up art um, on Shane Glein's board. Um, yeah, it, it was a really, seemed like a pretty popular pace for a couple years. Right around the time that I was graduating from Animation Animation School, I was thinking um, when you're talking the animation school experience, one of the things that really stuck out to you, you're saying, is about how you kind of get lost in that creative process. Mm. Like time would just kind of not exist. Uh, and I wonder, looking like when you go into like, sounds like a pretty heavy, comprehensive video game experience. Hmm. Um, how you kept yourself from being like creatively stifled <coughs> in that time? Oh, but the video game thing was was like super engaging because you uh, 
at least in the case of this specific video game. I'm sorry, this I was doing concept art, so yeah, it was all. It was feeding. Yeah, it was all very like, ah, we need to we need to design a level that looks like this. Just come up with um, <laughs> come up to come up with some ideas. Uh, uh, and I started down there a few months before we brought a friend, another friend of mine from anim animation. Animation school, <laughs> second time. Animation school. Uh, Mike Dees, who currently publishes um, quite a few books with uh, Orca locally. I think he's a friend of the island. He does um, some books for young readers. I think Dalen and Goals has one. But uh, the name sounds his name sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so it was the two of us down there, basically coming up with you know wacky characters and. And costume designs and landscapes and level designs. Uh, um, so there was, n yeah, I, I mean, it was all very, I think it was, it was just kind of fun. Yeah. You know, there was never. It was a good thing to do in your early 20s, sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, Travel around. I, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody who worked there will, will say that it turned out how they hoped. Um but I think I think it was a good experience for every, certainly for me. So that's all I, I mean, that's all I can say. Now we were touching a bit about uh, upon um, kind of starting into comics, and I guess kind of what's that movement from doing these short stories for Flight to working on this long form story about this character, Delia Dirk. Um. <coughs> If <laughs> and I should say I haven't actually read it, the flight story side. Yeah, 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 bad interviewer prep. Oh man, are you kidding me? Going through like literally, all, if you stack up all those flight books, it's at least three feet tall. That's a lot of reading. Um, I, I, I'll talk to people, and they'll they'll say, oh yeah, I'm working on a a one thousand page graphic novel epic. They probably never finished them. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I've, but it just blows my mind. And like going from those flight short stories to like the way I. So, the Turkish lieutenant um, was very. It was like a very easy process because what this is, and I'm holding up a copy of the Turkish lieutenant right now, is. Chat so <laughs> I always feel really guilty if I see a comment online from somebody who's like, Oh yeah, I can't wait to pick up your new book. I'm like, it's not a new book, it's the same one that was on the internet. It, it, don't expect it to be a new book. Um <laughs> <Loiven>. <laughs> and, uh, and even then, so chapter one was like I published I self published back in two thousand seven as its own in black and white. <laughs> um has its own little like 32 page comic um, and chapter 3 of the Turkish Lieutenant is uh, a story I did for Flight 5 um, the rest of that book the other 120 some odd pages in there um, I was like while well, these two stories fit together and I had, I had meant them to sort of take yeah. place sequentially right 
Uh, I'm like, well, let's take those and and fill in the gaps and and turn this into something more substantial. So it was a process of going from, you know, making these like little short stories to making slightly longer comics, making slightly longer comics till I had enough long comics, slightly longer comics that I could combine them with some more longer comics into making a one really long comic. <laughs> um, which I gotta say, um, is a I think is a great way to go about it. <laughs> um, you get that sort of um, you get that sort of feeling of, of finishing something and having accomplished something, you know, and taking baby steps towards like, which is why I, I get astonished by these people working on these enormous projects. It's like, well, when are you going to get to feel that you've, you know, finished that? When mm-hmm. are you get to feel you've done that. Um, and I would I would definitely recommend the process baby steps for anybody else, you know, coming into it. When you um, started working with the character, did you have a larger arc in mind with her? Uh, has it kind of come out of the process of putting the book together? Mm, like broad broad picture, really sort of a rough idea. Um, I was I was conscious like with this one that it would read a little bit like an introduction to the character and little a little bit like it's setting up for I mean I like it's setting up for further books because you know I would love to be able to make a a long series out of it um that said I mean I tried I worked really hard to try and make it a, its own complete thing and I hope it feels like that to anybody who's reading it but um but yeah yeah like you know there is a a bigger world to it, and, or a bigger storyline. There's, and it it hadn't occurred occurred to me until just recently that you could. <laughs> I mean, there are those two ways of looking at it: of looking like you're making a cartoon character and making a comic book uh, in terms of a series, as opposed to writing a dedicated story, which requires only its own specific dedicated characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about uh, I know a lot of people have done a lot of Indiana Jones comparisons <laughs> and, and the w- one thing I'm thinking about is actually the young Indiana Jones mm. let's go real old school here oh. uh, and how the stories and the series I'm presuming you watched it it's a little bit younger than me so it was probably mm. I did see it yes I don't remember a lot of it you know, River fin- did River Phoenix also play young Indiana Jones, or was he only Indiana Jones in the only first the party? Okay, yeah. No, yeah. they had the guy. What was he in? He was in like something really terrible. Um, anyways, um, one of the things about the show, and uh, and it doesn't matter if you haven't seen it, um, is the stories jump around, and I kind of feel like I like in s- time. Yeah, like you'll see this show takes place then and one might take place after or one might take place like five years previous to that okay yeah, yeah. and i kind of get the feeling with delia dirk you kind of set yourself up at the beginning with this book and i'm wondering if the future you're going to kind of play more with that and be able to jump around and not have to follow like a straight strict narrative yeah i'm wondering about that because there's and at the risk of sounding pretentious by dropping like you know big names 
Like there's the Harry Potter model where you where those seven books are strictly are yeah. so sequential that each book is a year in his his school life, yeah. right? Um, one of the, one of the things I was reading a lot. So you know, people ask me, "Oh, where does the character come from? Uh, why 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 would you set it in that time period?" Um, I've been reading a lot of uh, Horatio Hornblower and and Sharp novels. They're like adventure novels set yeah. during the Napoleonic War. Um, <clears throat> and the way those are written, like the Hornblower books, would be serialized, and and you can buy them now as as a series of books, and they come numbered one, two, three, four, five, six, and blah blah blah. But when they came out, um, the book that is actually number one was probably published third or fourth. You know, so they're out of so it's what you're describing where <laughs> I'm doing hand gestures right now, which is not <laughs> helpful for anybody except you and I. And <laughs> probably barely then. It um, gets even more extreme when folks are in the studio with the hands. <laughs> it's amazing. You know what I'm talking about? You see that? You see that? Like no. It's about no this one can big. see that. Um, yeah, so it's all you know, it's it's all done out of order and <laughs> and it's only, you know, after they're all out there that you can sort of plop them into different so it would be nice to be able to write the stories and plop them into different periods on some sort of chronology yeah um, it would be nice to have that freedom to go in there and do that and I have I have planned it out so that that is a possibility or at least tried to yeah um, I f- will probably be getting into a mess of um, continuity, uh, continuity <laughs> problems <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Uh, if if you look, <laughs> so what do I have here? Hold on. He's just gonna take a moment to flip through the book. Uh, okay, so right now I have this book right now, and it says that it starts in 1807. If you look online, I think the date is 1805, <laughs> and I think I changed it for the book because I wanted this book to take place closer to what I have planned for <laughs> the next one that I want to do. Um, which needs to take place around like 1809 or 1810. Uh, oof, maybe that's too late. Oh, I'm gonna have to go reread it. Uh, maybe 18. Let's say 1808. It's got to take place around those years to even be tangentially for it to even have like a sort of remotely historically accurate, you know, portrayal of events at, at where they are. Oh boy, history research sucks, man. Oh boy. Do you have an interest in history before doing this? Do you have no idea what you're getting into once you started touching on? Oh, I did not have any. No. <laughs> oh boy. Um, I, I did not get a... I don't know if it was because of this or whether this came out, f- whether this was a product of it, but I did not get along with my history teachers in high school. I didn't have history after then, so it didn't really matter. Um, but no, I, I there, yeah, there's something appealing about it. There's something appealing about tying into historical events. It's like it's a little bit. It's a. It grounds it. It does, but it all you you get. You get to have that sort of grounding in reality, like it's sort of being based on historical text, and we all generally agree that these historical uh, events happen, right? Mm-hmm. 
but you get all that exciting uh, stuff of it being exotic and foreign because you know we have cell phones now and cars now um, and so it's a little bit fantastical but at the same time you get that sort of you know like when you bite the coin it's metal inside <laughs> analogies <laughs> I pump my fist just guys <laughs> listen <laughs> said shouting at the recorder just pick it up and shake it <laughs> do you understand what is i'm it, feeling right now is it like an iphone if you shake it it makes the last few minutes go away that's the thing you, it, the undo feature in an iphone <laughs> if you, happens if you shake it I, uh, a strange design choice i only have a regular uh a non-iphone phone. i don't have an iphone either this is an ipod touch there we go i don't even have a cell phone i was i was, I was thinking that yeah so you don't even have cell phones. Nope. And we just talked about cell phones. People having cell phones. Yes. Sure. Why not? Um. <laughs> is there any reason, like you mentioned, the Horatio Hornblower books? Is there any reason these particular time point in time sort of interest you of like early nineteenth century? Uh, it's it's kind of a nice period where actually. There's definitely a quality I enjoy about those those Napoleonic War period, you know, adventure fiction stories. It's like it's just modern enough. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's probably just entirely personal taste. Like it's just modern enough, but it isn't so modern that you start getting steam and 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 too much electrical stuff. Uh, so I, I I don't know. I think it just lands on a spectrum of of taste that uh, just happens to do it for me. I'm not sure. One of the interesting things about the point of point in time is that it's such a transitionary historical period because mm -hmm. you're like you're not at the technological inventions like you said. There's no steam yet. Uh, post American Revolution, not really mm -hmm. important in Europe, uh, but the French Revolution is, and shit's going fucked. <laughs> and there's a lot of unease a lot of unrest in Europe um, and you're kind of you're s close to Europe with the Ottoman Empire mm -hmm. um, and Greece and Thrace and those kind of areas and it, it, it is a really interesting thing and um, I remember when the Westphalian Agreement was <laughs> I'm a history major <laughs> just so you know I should let that go. oh you should not read this then <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> Just slap it out of my hands when I go to pick it up. Oh yeah. Oh. Well, you know, it, the thing is, one th one of the things I think about is folks talking about his, you know, accuracy, um, and making the story accurate. And when I think of that, I think of like, yeah, Joe Sacco book. I want there to be accuracy. Okay. But when you're talking about like adventure fiction, right? Have fun. Yeah, you know, like take these points in time and play with it, and it's like I kind of feel like the same way. This is total tangential, like a Batman movie. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm a big Batman fan. Right. I also think it's great. You don't have to do the same story in the movie. Right. You know, you can have fun with that. You can play with it. You can take the ideas. You can take some of the tropes, and do your own thing with it. I think, like, when you're doing adventure fiction, you know, you don't have to worry necessarily that so and so was the ruler. Mm. 
at that point in time. I mean, it's it's good to have a little bit of that, but it's also like, you know, you drew the wrong cannon. That's okay. <laughs> oh, like the teacups in here are wrong. Are they? Yeah, they're sort of. <laughs> I'm holding up a modern mug. Um, <laughs> for the for the Vancouver Public Vancouver Library. Public Library. Um, you know, they look like modern teacups. They do not look like proper Turkish cups, like I have on the back there. Um, yeah, and you kind of hope that the the drama and and the interactions between the characters, which are not mm, which may not necessarily have anything to do with all the specific you know, no. go, the historical goings on, you 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 hope that that sort of um, carries the bulk of the story through there because that's what you're there for, right? Yeah. Um, well, I think about Asterix. Okay. Thinking. It's not very accurate. You're not there to make sure <laughs> you know, the Romans are properly represented. This is true. This is true. I wonder also, like, how many kids grew up reading Asterisk, Asterisk, Asterix, um, and and that's where their understanding of exactly how history unfolded, how that where that came from. Unless somebody's there to say to you know come in and say no, wrong, wrong, wrong. Like, how many people just go through their lives, and how how often is it going to come come up that you need to know something about those times? Um. <laughs> I think my answer would be different from your answer. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Galls. I I mean, for a lot of my life, I just assumed that when you looked at a map. And and it had them divided into you know say Ottoman Empire and and Thracia and and Greece and um, or Gaul or you know the Holy Roman Empire. When you saw different maps with different names on them, I just thought they were made up. I didn't know that you could actually change borders on a map throughout <laughs> history. I'm sure I clued in at some point. I must have, but um, but yeah, like the history of maps has always. Which is maybe <laughs> also one of the things that draws me that. It's like, oh, hey, this is really interesting, the way these borders change. And, and the they way... change a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And, I mean, just like the back and forths between religion and society and what people believe is right and wrong goes, like, just flies all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not get that point in high school history. I feel like that's a major takeaway from from learning history is that, you know, what you think is right one day will be wrong the next. And when I say the next day, I mean, you know, 200 years from now. Um, In the Ottoman Empire, at certain points, it could be the next day. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) Cut off his head. Uh, Look, that's a major takeaway, that, that, that continual changing of things. And I know I did. I did not catch that. Maybe somebody else's history teacher is is making that point stick, but I did not get that. I didn't have very good history teachers in, <laughs> in, in high school. It was just but you a, still went into history. The poli-sci department at mm-hmm. UBC really sucked. Mm-hmm. I was originally going to do poli-sci, and they had about eight different courses to choose from. The history department had, I'm sure, over 100 mm-hmm. to choose from at one point. And I was like, well, this looks a little more interesting. <laughs> So. Was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed my degree. I 
took a wide berth of oh, cool. issues. Oh, well, I'm, go I'm going to have to hit you up with my all my historical ask accuracy questions. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I'll put some good answers. Yeah, just yeah, go to Colin Upton. Yes. He, he'd be more accurate with the Ottoman <laughs> Empire stuff. My history is more recent or way before then. <laughs> a lot of classical studies. Um, back to your comics. <laughs> we're 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 we're, uh, we're going in, in different directions. Um, <laughs> You were posting online, and did you stop at a certain point? I was looking at your website, and you had the first two chapters up there. Did oh, you right. have more than that um, when you got hooked up with First Second, or...? Um, yes. Oh, so, uh, Turkish Lieutenant, I started in... Uh, the spring of 2011. I started serializing it. I'd put up, I think, four pages a week, every Saturday morning. Um, mostly because I like reading things in bed on Saturday mornings, but also because, you know, proper search engine uh, strategy is that you don't post anything on the weekends. Yeah, I gotta post it on Mondays or Wednesdays or something. So I'm like, ah, screw you guys, I'm gonna put it up on Saturday. I'm always Sunday night. Yeah. Like, I'm at home, I can do something. <laughs> anyway, so put, it, put, put those up. Those up. It took almost exactly a year. I think it was it was March or something of 2012 uh, to put the whole thing up there. Um, there are only two chapters up there right now, um, uh, which is a decision that I reached together with for a second. You know, book came out. It's been up online for you know a year for anybody free to read it. Um, but took those the last two chapters down just to. Uh, just to drive people towards the book, which I, in any case, is is how I, I mean, is how I get this weird feeling that there's a, I get, I, think, I feel like maybe people who, <laughs> I'm not talking about anybody in specific. I just get this feeling that people who strictly do online comics sort of look down at people who maybe don't intentionally go online first like to go to make their comics online I feel like there might be too, uh, too I think that dichotomy was a lot more existence uh, happening present it was word. a lot more present was a lot more present uh, maybe four years ago okay and I think um, we're seeing a lot more breakdown of that hmm. and a lot more play back and forth between folks that are strictly online and and publishing mm -hmm. and people that show stuff online. I think you're going to find a lot of the folks that aren't, and this is really presumptuously speaking, and I apologize. <laughs> and all generalities as well. Super general. Um, at least my, I find through my experiences, um, folks that aren't quoting up much online, it's more generational, hmm. I'm finding. Um, and that's really presumptuously speaking. Hmm. Uh, and I apologize well, to young people that aren't posting stuff online. Um. <laughs> like I, I will be happy to to admit. Like I always wanted this to be a book. I yeah. like books. I like reading books. I think it's easier and more fun to read things on books. Like when I'm sitting, uh, you know, on my couch reading a book, I don't have a little tab up at the corner that I can click to to go check my email. There's not that distraction there. It's like something you can devote yourself to and like sort of just dump your brain into. Um, but on the other hand, I needed. I needed to, I needed like a litmus test or I needed some feedback on it. 
because and I, I will always remember this Brian Lee O'Malley live journal post where he mentioned I think in passing in some other context that the idea that hey this is if I want to work on another comic book that's a year of my life yeah. that's a whole year or, and in some people's cases you know much more than a year um of like strictly dedicating myself to this one project. Seconds has taken a lot more than a year. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just like I needed some feedback to tell me, well, is this a thing? You know, if I want to do a second one of these, am I am I being completely delusional? Am I being completely um, like am I really putting the vanity into you know vanity publishing? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I put it online like, to just sort of see what the reaction would be. Put it all up. You know, I always wanted it to be a book, but needed that that feedback and been generally positive, I'd say. It's, you know, it's... I was having thoughts the other day about how, um, you know, interacting with audiences is a lot different than it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about folks like Kate Beaton and Emily yeah. Carroll and how they're posting online if they were around doing stuff 10 years ago I don't know how much they would have right um, more than 10 years ago because it's 2013 and I'm old in the <laughs> 90s I wonder I, the thing I wonder about Kate Beaton's stuff which I I'll put it right up front is that I really I, I just love the hell out of it um, she, uh, so I wonder. Have you you've seen her like her comics that she's done, like her family? Oh yeah, yeah. family comics. She she spits right that are clearly produced on pieces of paper, and then she takes the photo with it. Sure, (laughs) uh, with an iPhone, and then puts it up on TwitPic. Um, I wonder if if she had started doing that, or if she were only doing that, um, whether that would have affected um, uh, her feedback or, or 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 her reader response at all. Um, because whenever I see that and and how delightful they are, um, and how enjoyable they are, and they're just presented in that yeah. really like entry level internet way, you know, uh, I learned I learned CSS and HTML and even a little bit of PHP to try try to get that comic up there. Um, but I mean, man, like, is there any better example that your content is, will carry you through yeah. anything than what Kate's doing? Yeah, like that stuff is. Oof. Well, and that all speaks to like it's more egalitarian now. Like mm-hmm. you have less gatekeepers, right? Less filters, and people are more used to accessing things, accessing yeah. accessing things, um, in these ways. Like the fluency level is 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 going up. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. why like someone like Emily Carroll's been so amazing because she's someone who's not going out to engage an audience very rarely. Uh, um, but puts these stuff out and it's just so you mean like easy. personally or like with the work she, she's not a big hype person <laughs> yeah you could say that <laughs> <laughs> hi Emily Emily come on the show oops yeah uh, she's been asked several times <laughs> Emily Emily um but yeah, she's not a big hype person, but she's able to do that that avenue, that web avenue allows for that. And I don't know why I went on this direction of just kind of the accessibility of the internet and how that allows you to really put your work out there and not um, have barriers and 
Um, yeah, you don't have to sink money into a print run yeah. and then somehow distribute your books uh, and then wait for the letters column to fill up to find out how you're doing. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, which is also great because it allows me to like take this like com- comic about uh, some sort of adventuring woman in you know what would at the times have been considered the Orient and she meets this guy and it's about sort of tea adventure stuff to make let me take this weird comic and put it out there and people who are into you know this weird thing can find it yeah which is very i don't know if you'd be able to do that a long time ago it's good i'm just guessing well i'm only like 16 <laughs> um now you have a you're starting work on the I second book yes i am starting on work on the second book <laughs> Um, is the approach a lot different now? Oh yeah, so um, yeah, like I said, with this one, it was tiny chunks, baby steps. Yeah, with this one, I am literally uh, today uh, spent the entire day sitting in front of my laptop writing out um, a prose style script for the whole thing. Um, that sounds exciting for you. You know what? It actually is. It, it oh, is. Really? I, uh, I, it is exciting. I, it's my favorite part. But I've never done this before. I've never done, like, tackled an entire, let's say, I'm hoping it'll be about 200 page, a 200 page product. I've never tackled it all at once. So I'm just trying to t- take it on in, in chunks that seem manageable. And this seems manageable. So it is definitely different. I am sort of make, at least personally, making up as I go. Uh, but yeah, no, this is the exciting part. This is when you get to do all the ideas and plan all the action scenes and and see how all the pieces fit together. It's like a crazy, you know, Rubik's cube. Um, it's when you got to try and beat the whole story into shape so that it looks like something um, or feels like something that that is a cohesive, meaningful, engaging story. Um, everything else is it's all just like da- execution from this point I'm making the downhill motion because um, that's what I really <laughs> wanted to say everything else is downhill from here but it is it's execution uh, yeah. it, like all the ideas and for me you know the exciting part comes here it's like when you throw in all the jokes or, tr- or at least try to try <laughs> try and write the funny gags and, and make the scenes exciting and then from there on in it's just you know drawing like basically illustrating it and tweaking dialogue and that sort of stuff. Are you working more with the editor this time now that you actually have an already <laughs> publisher? Um, right. Uh, I will be, uh, but I have not yet. I'm wondering if I should... Uh, <laughs> I am now wondering out loud, definitely. Uh, whether <laughs> I for a second. Whether I should, right, should send this script their way or whether that... Uh, but no, I will probably take it straight to thumbs and and then to roughs, and then hand it off. Then it it needs a few more passes. It's still yeah. got some rough edges sticking out. So nice. Now you did a signing last month in town at the Hotter at What City. Mm. Any other events coming up? Um, the only one that I have currently scheduled is a teachers appreciation event that Rain Coast is taking part in at a chapters. Sunday the 29th um, not quite sure what to expect but uh, I think it will be sort of like a signing 
an interesting and thing. Uh, if you're a teacher and you have a teacher's ID, you can come down and get 30% off anything, apparently. Well, there we go. Vancouver teachers. Which <laughs> chapters? Um... They said the Grand. The only thing I know about it is it's the Granville chapters, which so I assume means Granville the one on Granville and Broadway. Yes. Yeah. I was gonna say Granville and Twelfth. That's not right. Granville and Broadway is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. More Vancouver landmarks for you <laughs> listeners. You could do a uh, a walking tour of our uh, conversation here. Go from Steveston up to uh, down to my office <laughs> and then back up to Granville and Broadway. Um, there's a lot of convenient transit you could do, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. I I don't know what it is. Uh, whether it's you know having turned 16, really grown up, got much older, that um, like books about this city, books about Vancouver, are very interesting for me right now. Yeah. Have you gone? Do you experience this at all? I mean, I a little. We do, we actually interesting at my work. I don't really talk about my work on the radio very much, so. I'm very vague. Um, we talk a lot about the history of marginalization in Vancouver, hmm. um, and it's really fascinating to kind of learn more about kind of that that history of what hmm. we have here and kind of the screwed upness. Uh, today, I went to the uh, Truth and Reconciliation event at the P&E. Um, it's, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's around um, the residential school experience that the First Nations hmm. have right. gone through. Um, and it was interesting hearing some of the history there, and also um, there was a panel with uh, it was a First Nations woman, a young, all youth, uh, uh, Japanese descent uh, fellow who was talking about the his family's experience um, during World War II, and Japanese folks in Vancouver mm-hmm. were all shipped off to the interior. Um, into horrible internment camps, and his family was uh, put into the PE for a while. The PE was turned into internment camp, <laughs> and so like where his grandma was, was like I'm sorry, I'm just imagining the roller coaster still being there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is like people don't know this about Vancouver. It's like, but it's you know, seventy years ago, we were, you know. <laughs> Where they had the horses was turned into a place mm. to go and stick hundreds of people Ugh. for several years and just kind of talking about that history there and it's really interesting to know just kind of what we've done in Vancouver and kind of understanding the unique experiences that folks have had. Sorry, bummer. It is. I brought uh, the bummer is it, that, is a, that is a dark topic and <laughs> if, you were, <laughs> if you were here right now you would see me like really... Tr- I'm sorry, I'm just... So the PNE has a year-round roller coaster, a wooden roller coaster, and I'm just visualizing an internment camp that has a roller coaster in the yeah. middle of it. It's one of and the older roller coasters in North America, right? I, I, You would know more than I do. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I do know it's pretty old, and I'm sure it's more <laughs> than 70 years old, or could be. Oh, in which case... Oh, yeah, it that gives would actually you be true. It gives you some surreal imagery. We'll look into that, and we'll uh, let you know on the... Uh, no, we won't. Um, <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> Ticker tape rate. Uh, Tony, crazy, man. thank you for taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. To come into the, into the office. My pleasure, my pleasure. And, thank uh, you for having me. 